You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome in to episode 75 of the House of L podcast. I'm the L of House of L, Lawrence Holmes. I know it has been a minute since we have given you a new episode, but I can tell you that this episode is pretty spectacular considering who the guest is. I would like to update you because you are the uh, the people who keep the lights on when it comes to House of L. I like to tell you what's going on. Look, I'm, I'm super busy, but this is the, the thing that I love. I, I love doing this podcast and I love being able to talk to really interesting people about what they do in the world of journalism. But I also now have like some added responsibility stuff that I'm still figuring out how to navigate and still do my passion project, which is this thing. But I can tell you that uh, in the in the next coming weeks, there's going to be some really cool people that have agreed to be on the podcast. So I'm excited about you getting the opportunity to hear from them, including this week. So I'm I'm still I'm still trying to figure out like should this be a monthly thing now? Should it be every other week? Like uh, it's a lot, but I enjoy doing it because I love l- talking to people about this business and their place in it, including my guests for this week. For those of you who know Shakia Taylor, because you've heard her on my show before. We did a nice, we brought her in. Like, I had never met her. I just followed her on Twitter, and I followed her work, her writing. Like, she does incredible stuff for Fangraph. She's written for Baseball Prospectus. I find her to be, and I mention it while we're talking, a unicorn in our business. Not that, that there aren't black women who cover sports, but specifically black women who cover baseball. It's very rare that you see that and she brings a a unique perspective to covering baseball. What I love about the conversation with her is that she's uh, deep. Like if, if, if you ever check out what's going on in her thread on Twitter, she's a deep thinker. She reads a ton. She has very well thought out ideas. And I, I like that about her. I'm inspired by her. Every time I see that she's worked on a new piece or she's coming up with an idea like that's it. And sitting there talking with her and you'll be able to hear it a little bit in our conversation, like the spark in her eye when she's like, ah, I think I figured out a, a new subject to study or a way to dig deeper on a subject that I'm passionate about is, is uh, very, very cool. You should follow her on Twitter 
at Curly Fro, <laughs> which is a spectacular Twitter handle. And she's she keeps it real real about a lot of different things. She also has a tremendous voice, so I think that you're going to be treated to that in listening to her talk. She has an incredible story on how she became a sports writer and writing in general, like how difficult it is to write. I deal with this sometimes when I am um, tasked to write something, but hearing her explain it was great and hearing her love of books. It'll shine through in the conversation where we also talk about the, the city that we both love. I'm from here. She's transplanted here, but you wouldn't be able to tell if I didn't tell you. So the great Shakia Taylor is my guest this week on House of L. Enjoy. It's all good. So now you can hear me clearly through the headphones? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, good. This is great. I'm so happy that you had time to do this because uh, I'm such a fan of yours, but you already knew that. You knew that I was a fan of yours. I want to start here. Okay. There are two points in my life, like two sports flashpoints for me when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. One was getting my first glove. And the other was watching DePaul basketball at my grandmother's house, like sitting on the floor at her house over on the on the south side. What were those moments for you? Because your 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 love for sports goes so deep. Oh man. So my dad grew up in Maryland, right outside DC. And I didn't live with my dad growing up. I lived with my mom and my stepdad. But I went to visit my dad a lot. And for a little bit, we actually lived really close to each other. And my dad was a huge Washington football fan. I mean, the glasses we drank out of, he would get the little cans of Coke. You know, every year you can get your team on like a can of Coke or Pepsi. He would get the cans of Coke, but we couldn't drink them. They were like decorative cans. Um, (laughs) He... He His wardrobe was very much so you knew that my dad was a Washington football fan. And I kind of think I picked that up, but not for his team. Um, oddly enough, my stepdad's uncle was like the patriarch of our family. Like everybody looked up to Uncle Tony, right? Like there was no family event if Uncle Tony didn't come. And Uncle Tony was from the south side of Chicago, like 119th and Bishop. Uh, <laughs> 112th and Green. So uh, Uncle Tony, who's married to my Aunt Vicky, um, was a big Bears fan. And all my life, I just remember, like, Uncle Tony and the Bears were kind of synonymous for me. And when I got ready to come to college, it was like, I got this scholarship to Loyola. It's in Chicago. And my parents were like, and we can drive there. And you got family there in case something goes wrong. And so I came here. And it was fall of 2001. And I remember I took the red line from Rogers Park all the way to 95th. And Uncle Tony picked me up from the train. (laughs) And I watched football and ate dinner at their house. And it kind of just became a thing. On Sundays, I would meet up with my Uncle Tony, either at my Aunt Goldie's house on the west side or my Aunt Vicky's house on the south side. And we 
watch football together. It would be me and my great uncle and my other great uncles, which is hilarious because what young girl in her early 20s really is hanging out with her great uncle? Not a regular uncle. This is my grandmother's brother-in-law. But that was kind of where it kind of came together for me. And baseball, that goes back, (laughs) again, to Maryland. I spent my summers either in Maryland or North Carolina, my dad's mom or my mom's mom, alternating summers. Well, my cousin Tinselin lived with my grandma. And at Grandma E.T.'s house, if one of us did something, both of us did something. There was no difference. If one of us got an allowance, we both got an allowance. She treated us the exact same all summer. So that meant whatever Tinselin had already signed up for, when I got to town, I had to do it. Girl Scouts, basketball camp, baseball. And baseball was the one that stuck with me. Like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't too fond of Girl Scouts for the obvious reason. (laughs) I was already into sports. But baseball was fun, and I was kind of tall for my age. If you ever see a picture of me in kindergarten, I'm about as tall as my teacher. Like, I'm not quite 5'5 now as an adult, but I've been this height for a long time. I was a giant kid, (laughs) so baseball came easy for me. I could catch everything you threw at me. Tall enough, my arms were long, not anymore, but those are probably my two, like, big moments. My my dad, my uncle, is one to me for football, but then baseball came separate just from being stuck in the summer with my cousin. I'm going to keep with the sports <laughs> thing, but you said something that's so interesting to me about the, the trip from Loyola to 95th Street mm-hmm. on the red line. As someone who didn't grow up here, but I would say now, obviously, you're a Chicagoan. That's what everyone says. I've been here almost 20 years. What struck you about that ride or the ride from from way up north to way down south? So it's funny, right? On that ride, you pass both ballparks. And I, in the years, Chicago has changed so much. Like, I really remember what it looked like riding the red line going south and looking up and seeing the projects like I was here for that like I remember when they started tearing that down um I've been here for the name changes and um I've been here for like people trying to extend the red line for as long as I've been here (laughs) they've been trying to get the red line past 95th street um I remember you know I was here for September 11th I took the red line on September 11th 2001 It was my only way out of downtown. Loyola had shuttles, and the shuttles were packed. There was no way you were getting on one of those shuttles. And someone in my dorm who recognized me grabbed my hand and was like, let's just take the red line together. And I'm looking at him like, I do not know you. (laughs) However, we had to evacuate downtown. And I will never forget getting on the red line, and this story sounds far more serious than it is, get on the red line, and I'm terrified. I've been here for, like, less than a month, and I've only taken the red line maybe two, three times max. And this woman gets on, and she's dressed like Wonder Woman. (laughs) What? (laughs) And she just informs us (laughs) that she's there to save us. And in the, I mean, we are all terrified, but every single person on the train busts out laughing. (laughs) That is... The moment. That's the red line to me. It's like no matter what 
your mind is on, no matter what is happening, anything can happen on the red light. What a great moment to have. <laughs> like, in, in the context of what was going on, so to so give you some background, we weren't in the building that we're in now. Okay. We were in the NBC Tower back then. So we were in the midst, the school was in the midst of moving. Our original studios were on Belmont and Cicero. This is a little teeny tiny house that we shared with WXRT. Oh, wow. We'll have to go there sometime. Thinking back on it, it's really interesting that we were even there. But that's that's sports radio in the 90s. It was still a you know a, a, an upstart type of deal mm-hmm. back then. We so we were moving to the NBC Tower and that morning they evacuated all of the tall buildings and the NBC Tower was like on the list because it was so so close to the lakefront mm-hmm. and there was nothing in in front of it like that sort of thing being being evacuated it, it was a terrifying yeah. moment yeah and and i'm sure that the the scramble to get the students out from downtown had to have been um a scary proposition so having that moment of levity <laughs> On the red line is something that I think that that we absolutely needed. But you you spark something in me with that whole idea of, of driving the red line because I grew up not too far from the 95th Street. Like yeah. I went to school right down the street from that station. And it's so funny to me how so many people look at 95th Street as like the end of the world because it's the last line, yeah. last part of the line. And I grew up on 112th, but that was, you know, everyone was always going to the 95th Street station. And the fact that you're right, since I was a little kid, they've been talking about <laughs> extending that thing and trying to go south on it. Yep. Our city has seen so many changes. I think that that, I got a taste of it when the uh, the Cubs won the World Series, I took the red line from Inglewood to mm-hmm. go cover it. And I just wanted to see. I wanted to see where did people start getting on. Yeah. Where where were the Cubs fans, like, coming from? And so I'm on a train by myself at 63rd Street. There's no one on the train. But by the time I got to 35th Street, you could see the, the mm-hmm. momentum start to go. And once you got downtown – the train was pretty much already packed to get to Wrigley Field. Yeah. I love our city so much. Like, I'm a I, – I really love Chicago, even with all of, of its faults. Yeah. I still love this place. It's a very unique place. Um, I would say I've lived here so long that I get Chicago offended, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, how dare you? We don't even eat that pizza. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I have been in all of these arguments or – I mean, and – I live on the north side, right? But I have friends who live out south. I have cousins who live on the west side. I go visit people. And, you know, other people are like, what do you do on the north side? It's so boring. I'm like, well, first, wait, hold up. And I get where they're coming from because they think it's so homogenous. And I'm like, you got to step out of Lincoln Park. You got to step out of, you know, your Lakeview, your Boys Town, and there's stuff to do. I actually got into a argument with my friend John on Sunday because he wanted to go get tacos. And I won't name the restaurant he wanted to go to, but I was like, those aren't, no. And he's like, they're just fine. I was like, I live in Albany Park. I can walk to the corner and get some really good tacos and spend, I don't know, like $10 less. 
no, I just want to get a margarita. I have, like, I've seen so much change. I've, I have friends who live in Humboldt Park now who I'm like, you live in Humboldt Park? Or it's, it's wild to me. And I saw this video of um, a, uh, what was it, a campaign thing for... Pete Buttigieg? Yes. Yeah. The demographic of the people there was surprising for Bronzeville. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of it. It's like, I love this place. It's great. I've had so much opportunity here. I essentially became an adult here. I moved here when I was 18. I've been here now... What's today? The 21st. Okay, so I literally moved here August 21st, 2001. That's crazy. So... I've lived here 18 wow. years today, and there are parts of the city I don't even recognize anymore. I don't even recognize, and it's funny, and someone's going to yell at me, but I felt more safe then than I do now sometimes because everything's so different. Change isn't always like— Do you feel like you had a better handle on— what was going on in a particular neighborhood yeah. then than versus now? Yeah, I felt a lot more comfortable because everything was exactly what I knew it to be. Now, that's not the case. For example, I used to walk down Armitage all the time. Do you remember that big church that was on Armitage? Yeah, absolutely. It's not there anymore. It's a Walgreens. And I used to walk past that and speak to that congregation on a regular basis. Hey, how are you? Good morning, sir, or, you know, happy Sunday, because they'd be going to Sunday school when I'd be going to brunch. <laughs> but I spoke to They aren't there anymore. That's so weird to me. It makes me a little uncomfortable just getting used to it. I'm not saying the people who are there now are bad, but it's just getting used to the change. I remember, or maybe it could be that I'm getting older, too, but I could walk down the street and not really think twice. Now I'm always looking around me because everything's so different. Mm, it's I, not what I remember. I think a lot of us are doing that, too, where we're – you're not sure about your surroundings anymore. Yeah. And the way that when I was younger, and it was probably this way with, like, your great uncle, you knew everyone. Or yeah. everyone knew you. And everyone knew, oh, well, that's so-and-so's son mm -hmm. or nephew or whatever. And there was a what's – the, what's the right word? There was some security in that. Mm -hmm. And that's gone away a bit now. Yeah. So I understand, like, you're – your trepidation of wanting to, to walk in, in in certain neighborhoods. Is there, what are your favorite places in the city? Mm, so I really like hanging out outside of the planetarium, just right out there. There's never very many people out there. It's a good place to like just hang out. My friend and I used to go and we would take lunch and just sit for hours is so peaceful. It's kind of one of those spots that people know to go to, but they feel like it's so far because you have to walk. Like, it's a bit of a hike. Um, I like that place. Um, I like myopic books. It is, I don't know, it's one of the best places in the world to me. First, I'm a, I love bookstores. But myopic, it creaks when you walk and, like, when you go down the stairs, you're slightly terrified you might fall, but you know you're not going <laughs> to fall because there's all these wonderful books. And their sports books are in the basement. And there's never a group of people in the basement. If you go to the other floors, you'll find tons of people. So I've actually gone to Myopic and just sat on the floor in the basement and read or written. It's 
hands down one of my favorite places. And everybody respects the bookstore vibe. People don't talk on the phone. They don't, you know, chat too loudly. I love that place. In fact, it's if I have to plan a date, I figure out how I can work myopic into it. Because if you don't like myopic, we we shouldn't be hanging out anymore. It's my favorite place. Um, where else do I love? I love going to Nisei. I know this is weird, but it's like an extension of my living room. Um, it's like... If you are I, the queen of Nisei. Okay, wait, I'm not. There's other people. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, hear me out. So if I can go home and go straight home from work every day for like two or three weeks at a time. But then one day I'll be like, eh, I want to go out, but I don't want to go out, but I want to see my friends, but I don't want to have to dress up. Nisei. It's like if Nisei had a couch, it'd be fantastic. Although I was told if Nisei had a couch, they'd never get us out. But mm-hmm. that is like kind of my happy place. It's like I can go and be weird and watch sports and have a couple beers or not drink at all. That's one of my favorite things about those people. They don't care if you do or don't drink. It's not often you have, like, quote, drinking buddies who are like, oh, you're going to be sober today? Fine. Can I buy you a soda? You know, like, I love that about it. And um, we're very dysfunctional. And it's nice to hang with people where you can just be dysfunctional with and it'd be okay. I mean, we yell at each other for sure. For sure. I think I'm mad at someone there right now. Um, (laughs) and then my other favorite place here has to be and everyone back home is going to scream at me I like going to Sox games I I like going to Wrigley but I like going to Sox games why so chill it's so chill I can go I can sit I can put my feet up a little bit chat there's always a nice little breeze I don't know the environment is so mellow I feel like at Wrigley everyone is on everyone is there for the event of baseball right when I go to a Sox game people are there to eat and drink and have a good time in fact some of my friends treat going to Sox games like going to a restaurant it's nice and it's just such a chill environment when I go to a Sox game on a Sunday I know I'm going to chill I feel a little stressed out when I have to go to a game at Wrigley. Like, that environment is just a lot for my personality type. One of my colleagues, uh, I I think, actually said this really well, that Wrigley Field is an emotional amplifier. Hmm. It's everywhere. It's outside the ballpark. It's inside the ballpark. It's on the field. It's in the broadcast booth. It's in the press box. They're... It's like a tuning fork almost, you know, <laughs> yeah. of all this baseball emotion. Mm-hmm. And I, you feel it all the time yeah. over there. I, I think you're 100% right about that. It's a stressful environment. And it's fun, but you have to be, you have to be ready for it. I feel like I have to warm up. I have to go in there hot. It's like I have to have a drink or two before I go in there, just to calm my nerves, even if I don't drink at all during the game. It's just so stressful. And then also, not a dig, but I always sit in front of a guy who's having a business conversation behind me, and it's like, you're making your business deal at the ballpark. That's what this has become now. Like, you bring your client to the Cubs game, and I just want to watch the game. I don't really care that you got a new Rolex. I don't care that your wife got a Porsche. Just... Let me watch the game in peace. The environment is just different. 
What's your order when you go to Sox game? What What's the, the, the food stand that you're looking for and trying to get to? I'm always about the elote. I'm 100% elote. I have to have it. Keep in mind, yes, I can get elote at home. However, what other ballparks are just like, hey, what's up? Here's elote, you know? <laughs> like, everybody tries to make everything fancy. The White Sox were like, no, we're going to stick to the basics, and it's going to be tasty. I go for an elote. I go for Lately, I've been drinking, um, like, just beer, not really, a, but a elote and a beer. And then I always have to get fries. In fact, people ask me during the game on a regular basis if I want loaded fries because the answer is yes. And if I don't get fries, I get a funnel cake. Funnel cake. You can't get funnel cake everywhere. I feel like funnel cake just reminds me of, like, festivals and childhood and my mom telling me that I was not having all that damn sugar. That is what it reminds me of. See, it's such a fun place. Yeah, that smell, too. The fried dough, like, aspect of it yes. is, is very appealing from, from that standpoint. What... What's your favorite ballpark outside of the two in Chicago? And it can't be progressive because that would be too obvious. It can't be if it, if, <laughs> if it is, it is. No, um, I don't know. That's so hard. I'm really thinking about it. Camden Yards. I really like it there. Again, there's a childhood memory there. I remember going to Inner Harbor with my family and we always managed to make our way there every time and my uncle canard would always explain cal ripkin to us like what do you mean explain because we were girls and he really really wanted to sell us on the idea of baseball and he would always talk about how great how great great, great, and how we should respect and revere. I think that's really when we started paying attention to him on the whole, like, trip to Baltimore is because when he got out of outside of that ballpark, he really got on his, <laughs> his soapbox about how uh, people don't teach their kids about baseball. And this was, like, 90s, had to be. And he's already where we are now with baseball when it comes to uh, kids from, like, African-American communities, like, you guys don't love baseball the way we love baseball. And and I'm like, well, what exactly do you want from us? But he always got on to these rants about baseball. And I remember Camden Yards. And it's a really cool place. It's a really cool place, especially for someone like me who loves seafood. And they have seafood options available right there by the ballpark. There's a podcast that I'm going to – I know that you're on a podcast right now. But <laughs> there's a podcast about the building of Camden Yards that oh, I'm going to share with you that I think that you would find maybe more interesting than anyone else that I know. I think about you whenever I talk about PNC Park, which is my favorite. Yeah, you love it. Eh? My, my favorite non-home ballpark is PNC. It's my number one. I think about you because my experience there is I found it to be unique. Mm -hmm. I found that that ballpark, more than any other that I've gone to, has a huge demographic of black women mm -hmm. who go to games. And I was taken aback by it the first time that I went because I had never really seen that before where there, there are gaggles of black women who are there to enjoy the game. They have been connected to the Pirates for generations. Mm -hmm. 
and it's their thing. And I was like, wow, I'm like, this is, this is fantastic. And it's unique to Pittsburgh. It's a cool thing to see. So anytime that I reference it, I think about you because I feel like you would fit in so perfectly. I would love to hang out with them. It's funny. I grew up like 45 minutes from that ballpark. Um, That's kind of the beauty of growing up in Youngstown is you're halfway between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, but then you're also halfway between Chicago and New York. So we got a lot of road trips in and, you know, Detroit was closed. So I got to see, you know, lots of ballparks just coming up in family trips or whatever. And it's PNC is a place where everyone I know loves it. I don't know a single person who doesn't love that ballpark. Not at all. It's it's funny because I don't remember hearing people love anything about Pittsburgh growing up. <laughs> I don't. You know, I really don't. I, I, then obviously the Steelers, but I don't recall hearing anyone have anything positive sports related to say that wasn't about the Steelers until I got older. And maybe that's because people started appreciating, you know, different things. And now I feel like, okay, well, maybe I want to go back. Maybe now I'm older. I'm not in the whole, well, I'm from Ohio and we don't even like Pennsylvania. Like I'm out of that phase of things. So maybe I'll go back and check it out. Cause you've actually told me that once before. And I think Herb really likes that ballpark too. It's gorgeous. And you know, you have the Andy Warhol museum, which Mm -hmm. is right around the corner from it. The way they designed it, with the city as a backdrop and the bridges, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and I always get mad because I feel like <laughs> if we just take the White Sox ballpark and pick it up and <laughs> just rotate it. I agree. You could have something really special. Oh, man, I totally agree. I say it every time I go there. I'm like, just turn it the other way. Turn it the other way. Just it's get so Superman perfect. in here and pick it just up. Just flip and- it, right? I mean, come on. If this city can reverse the direction of a river, they can turn a stadium the right direction. I actually posted about that once on Facebook. I was like, I think I could totally bandwagon the socks if you rotate your ballpark. And people responded like, so if I start a change.org petition, you're really going to stick to this, right? I'm like, just turn the ballpark around and I will bandwagon your team. When I was playing ball in college, DePaul's team we didn't have a home field because Lincoln Park. So we played at UIC. Mm-hmm. And we played, it doesn't have a diamond on it anymore, but right on the corner of Roosevelt and Halsted. I know exactly what you're talking about. We had that view looking back north, northeast. Mm-hmm. It, they played what was called the Skyscraper League back then. It was like a, a you know adult league. It was that view. And I guess the ballparks that, they, that Curtis Granderson built over there have those views. It's the most breathtaking view of downtown Chicago, and it's what the White Sox could have. But I'm not going to dwell on it because it's just going to make me mad. And and this is about you, and it's not about me. You were talking about going to myopic. Yes. There's something about the smell of a bookstore. Yes. It's very calming. You're one of the most voracious readers yep. that, that I know. It's kind of sad, but it's also awesome. It's not It's not <laughs> sad at all. It's totally awesome. How many books do you go through in a week? So I only read one a week, but I literally read one book a week every year. So 52 books a year is my minimum. Sometimes I go over, but typically not less than that. Um I've actually been carrying, and I took it out of my purse today, um, I've been carrying the same book for 
probably six months in my purse. I'm reading other stuff, but I keep going back to it. So um, Hanif Muhammad wrote a book on a tribe called Quest. And it's a black book, and the words on the cover are in red and green and gold. It's very beautiful. But I love tribe. Everyone who knows me knows I love tribe. I have in a tribe called Quest tattoo. and Front and center, like right there. Right on my arm. You can never miss it. I went to see Tribe after Fife died at Red Rocks, and it was one of the most fantastic concert experience. I don't know if it was because we were outside. I don't know if it was because we were in the mountains. I don't know if it was because everyone around me was getting high and the air was extremely thick. Like, it was just so, so wonderful. And I've been carrying this book around, just kind of casually flipping to a page here or there, I I love it. I love it. It's nice when I feel like I'm reading something that I connect with something that the writer also connected with. Um, And maybe that appeals to me because that also is something I look for when I write. Um, If I write something, I hate it at first. It's a guarantee. It happens. In fact, um, my editor at Baseball Perspectives goes, ah, the process. Every time I say it's not ready because I hate it. Um, I feel like it has to have something. I look for that like gut punch thing. It doesn't always have to be like an emotional thing, but there's always that moment where I feel like when I'm writing something where I'm like, damn, that's it. That's good. That's that's the thing I needed. That I feel like I get that when I, I read other people's work that I connect with. Maybe that's definitely why I'm carrying the book around, not just because I like tribe, it just I connect with it. What's that first draft for you like then? Because, I, I mean, I hate to tell you this. No, it's fine. You're a great writer. Thank you. So so what is that first draft like? How does it how does it go from a concept to getting on the page? So, hmm. So usually when I pitch something, I've probably already started writing it. And not necessarily writing, like, paragraphs or whatever, but I, I – I'm kind of old school and I web like I'll write out what I want to write about and then I'll like have all these arrows like well will it go this direction or will it go that direction and I try to fill in as many blanks as possible before I pitch it I don't like to pitch something I don't think I can do if I come to an editor and say I want to write about this nine times out of ten I have the direction in my mind I just need to do the research talk to the people or whatever So a first draft for me is probably my webbing, and I carry a notebook in my purse where that usually starts. I also have a playlist on my Apple Music called Pen and Paper, and it's not super long, but I listen to it in that whole, like, webbing process, writing it out. Um, So it's still longhand for you first. Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Not Um, shocking, but it's interesting. (laughs) I am absolutely an analog girl. Um, Records, writing things by hand, books and physical copy, that that whole thing. But the writing, it kind of comes from there. So after I web, I have a conversation. I might ask you a question. I might, and the person I'm talking to never knows why I'm asking them these questions. I'll just be talking about something at random. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And other people's opinions kind of make me go, hmm. Or if they start asking questions, those are the questions I want to answer. 
if I ask you about a topic and you tell me things you don't know, like, well, I, I don't know this or I want to know that. Those are the things that I want to answer. And I kind of have like a little group of people right now who I'll text them or I'll start a chat with them. And it really is just me saying, hey, what's going on? And we'll start getting into each other's lives. But then I start saying, well, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think of that? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on this particular subject? If you could talk to this person, what would you ask them? And you'll be surprised the things that people say. And I will write it down like, oh, I can answer that. Or, you know, never thought of it that way. And that's that's how it starts for me. Other people, really. That's a good place to start. I have this great idea for uh, something I want to write that I haven't quite found the hook for. Mm. And it started from, um, hilariously enough, a conversation about the changes around Wrigley Field. And a friend of mine was just ranting. I mean, he's hardcore going off. I mean, I don't even think he cared if we listened or not. He just needed to get it off his chest. Upset that things have changed so much? Yeah. He, I, I may have told you this before. I don't remember. But he said, you know, they mortgaged our neighborhood for a World Series. And I'm like, tell me why you think that. Tell me more about that, you know. And I really want to hear, are there other people who who feel this way, right? Like, they're like, yeah, I like this team, but I wish we could have our old neighborhood back. Or I wish things hadn't gone so corporate so fast because the turnaround in that neighborhood is has been super fast, super fast. I had a friend, uh, my friend Annette. She used to live here in Chicago. She worked at the score with us. She lived in Hyde Park, but... You know, obviously, like we would do stuff with the Cubs and, and she'd go to Wrigley Field and she hadn't been here in f- five years. She came back this summer for my friend Afia's birthday. Mm-hmm. And there were two things I wanted her to see. I wanted her to see 53rd Street in Hyde Park. Oh, yeah, that looks very different. It's very different. And she lived right down the street from it. And I said, you have to go to Wrigley. She's like, why? I was like, just go. Just Plop down, go to Clark, walk Clark. Yeah. She said, if I wouldn't have known that Wrigley Field was there, I never would have guessed. Yeah, it's so. It's very different. so different. It's so different. And see, things like that are the things I want to write about, right? Like, we have tons of people writing about the numbers and, you know, this guy, he went off today and this guy didn't. He, he didn't play so well today. And But there's so many human stories behind baseball. It's been around so long. There's so many, so many stories there, whether it's about the neighborhoods where ballparks are or people who work in them. Um there was a great story about beer vendors in the athletic. Like, just it's there's so much to the baseball experience. I think that it doesn't all happen on the field, and that's the kind of stuff that I like to write about. And I think that's why in my writing, I'm like, ah, it doesn't have that that gut punch. It doesn't have that moment where I I, I needed to have that moment where I personally feel a way about it. I want you to feel good about what I'm writing, like. Even if it's a sad story, I want you to feel like you walked away, you learned something, or you felt a tinge of compassion for someone else. It was the reception of my Pumpsy Greenpeace was incredible. And then he passed away like two weeks later. 
and I had written the most timely thing on him. So tons of people were tweeting me and finding me on other platforms and just saying, hey, I read this. This was cool. I didn't even know about Pumpsy Green. That is what I go for. I want someone to say, I didn't know about this thing until you told me. You represent to me, and, and, and what you were just saying represents like a pendulum swing. Like, obviously, you're the type of person that anyone should want to go to a baseball game with <laughs> because you know what's going on and can explain it. And mm-hmm. if and if I asked you to explain it from strictly an objective standpoint, you could. You could tell me about Francisco Lindor's OPS. And, you you know, we could talk about weighted, weighted runs created plus and all of that stuff. But I think as we've gotten more and more detailed on the objective side, that there is a subjective component that hasn't been fulfilled. And what I hear you saying is that there is a life of being a baseball observer or baseball fan Mm -hmm. that is not being served and that there are so many things that connect us to baseball that we should still be out here trying to explore. A thing that I harp on a lot is baseball players are people and the sport is made up in all facets of people. And if you look at the way some fans talk about athletes, it's kind of gross. It's like, these are people. Yes, they play this thing, but these are people. And I think about that in in every way. Everyone who works at that ballpark, they go home to somebody, or maybe they don't. But there's a story there. Um, people at the ballpark are there for a reason. People get married at ballparks, engaged. It's a celebration when someone brings their kid to their first ball game. I love that. Those little posters, my first, you know, whatever game. Love that stuff. Like, there's people create their own history in their sporting events. They create their own memories, their own experiences. Um, I once on Twitter just started this thing where I asked women to reply to me with their location and their favorite team and if they were looking for another girlfriend to go to games with. And it kind of took off. And I couldn't think of a hashtag or anything. And I was like, ah, whatever. We'll just let it fly the way it is. And women started connecting with each other in my mentions and going to baseball games. And I was on a plane to D.C. And someone tweeted me and was like, hey, if you're ever in D.C., let's go to a game. I replied to her and I said, I'm on the plane right now. Let's go this weekend. And I'm like, okay, I'm out of my mind. I'm about to go to a baseball game with someone I don't even know. We don't have a Twitter relationship at all, but whatever. I got to be about whatever I say, you know. So I land, and she said, yeah. Luckily, I wasn't by myself. It was me and Stephanie, and I had a couple other friends in town. And she met up with us, and we went to a Nats-Cubs game together. She's flown to Chicago since then, and we've gone to two Sox games together. And uh, she's moving here. And those are the kind of experiences that I feel like you can get as a fan of just about anything. It's the connection. It's, it's we all, we don't have to root for the same team. We don't have to, you know, even like 
anything similarly. I'm completely, I don't care that you think we should have the DH. I think pitchers should hit. And I'll still hang out with you. I love that. Like, our differences, they don't matter. I feel like that happens with most sports, though. Football, I hang with people we don't like the same teams. It's great. I really think people are underserving, as you said, People who want to read about stuff that aren't isn't numbers. Not everybody connects on a mathematic level. Like, yeah, this guy's good, but hey, he's awesome. Or hey, for some people, it's you know, he's fun to watch. I know people who couldn't tell you a singular fact about Javier Baez, but they can tell you that he is so awesome. And I think that Major League Baseball is missing the point there. They're missing the point there. Stop trying to force Mike Trout on us, who is great but doesn't want to be that guy. He doesn't want to be that guy. He's told you <laughs> time and time again, I'm not that dude. He doesn't want Stop to be trying that to make guy. me that dude. He just wants to play baseball and, be and talk about it. the weather and move on with his life. <laughs> and I say we let him. I say we let Mike Trout play himself into the Hall of Fame because we know he's going. And then if he wants to have a second career as a meteorologist, let him do that. He doesn't want to be the star. But you got a guy who has the logo tattooed on the back of his neck. Let that guy be great. You have guys who play with more emotion than anything. Let those guys be great. Instead, no, we got to go for, you know, we got to talk about stats and we got we, we to gotta talk about, you know, how many rings somebody has and, you know, how many times he's been on base this game. Oh, he swings at everything. Like, that's, that's not appealing to everyone. I fortunately can see both sides, but if you want people to enjoy the game, you want to bring in new people, make it fun and don't juice the balls. That's terrible. So I've gotten a little bit of clarity on this <laughs> with with the ball. I was talking to some baseball people over the last few weeks, mm -hmm. and apparently the way that the ball is being created now is so machine-like. They've taken the imperfections out of the ball. Mm -hmm. So the center of the ball is now legitimately the center of the ball, where before it might be a degree yeah. off one way or the other. And that is not the case anymore. And now that thing is taking off like a Super Bowl <laughs> would. Have you and, seen the stitches? Like the comparisons of the old stitches versus the new stitches? Yes. And it's changing the way players, pitchers can grip the ball. So they're literally changing the game right now by making the ball smaller and I feel like their attempt to control every part of the game is kind of getting aggravating. Like, you you purchase the company that makes the balls so you can have control of it. And now you're manipulating the, the game. And I read this really great story on the guy who owns the mud. Yes, I read that story, too. And... I guess people want to buy him, buy, buy his mud, or buy something similar to it now. This is incredible. Like, they... I know games advance, things change, but when you have active players saying, like, eh, this doesn't feel right, and they can't throw certain pitches anymore, it's time to take a step back. I don't, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this going forward. Do I like home runs? Sure. But I thought that Astros-Dodgers game five of the World Series with all those home runs, I didn't like that. That's not baseball. Baseball is slow. 
there's a little strategery involved. We're not just pumping balls like that's crazy. I I don't know. I don't I don't love it. You have a very good sense of the romance of sports in all sports. Oh yeah. <laughs> but ba- but baseball in particular, I I think that you do a great job of capturing the essence of it when you write. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Is that because you are the crazy, voracious reader? Yes. I think so. I have this theory that all writers read. Like, you have to. And that goes for whatever you write. You have to read. I like reading not just other, you know, sports pieces, but I read a ton of fiction. Um, I love to watch, like, documentaries. Just watching and seeing the way people put words language is so so powerful and we can use it any way we want like you put words together differently than I put words together and I think the love I like history so there's like a love of like historic stories involved and what sport in the U.S. has like a richer history than baseball and baseball's history is it's sorted. Like there's mm-hmm. tons of stuff in there that people don't ever want to talk about. And I, those are things that I love talking about. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's funny that you use the word romance because um, I always say like, uh, I'm not really big on like talking about like love and loving things and whatever, but baseball might be that thing. Like that. I'm like, ah, it's kind of my jam baseball and reading. And if I can merge the two, why not? I wish I wrote all the time, but, you know, I have bills to pay and stuff sure. like that. But I also don't know what I would write about if I had all the time in the world to write. Um, I've thought about it. Like, ah, would I write some kind of anthology? Would I just go and travel and collect stories to tell? Um, I do have an idea that I think should be a book. I just said this the other day, despite saying for years that I literally never want to write a book. And I tweet it randomly like, oh, I think I have a book idea. So one of my really close friends texts me and is like, spill it. I'm like, if I tell you, then it's like I have to do it and I don't want to do it. I don't know if it's a real idea. But I do think if I were to follow this dream, it would basically be without telling the whole premise is I would hit every baseball city in the U.S. And I would find, you know... The hangouts. Where do the local old school fans hang out? So where's Nisei everywhere else? Right. Right. Someone here told me a story about Woodlawn Tap. Yes. Jimmy's. And that's what we call it in High Park. Okay. Okay. It's called Jimmy's. So if you ever make it down the 55th Street. Call it Jimmy's. Call it Jimmy's. Okay. And they told me that um, long time ago that black baseball players would go there for a nightcap. I think it was Mel who told me that. I'm not sure, but... and well, I was Ernie like, Banks used to live. See, that's exactly what I was told. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Because people don't... I feel like that's not something people advertise about that bar. But I always think that old-timers at bars, whether it be bartenders or a regular who's been going for 25 years near ballparks have the best stories. They have the best stories. They can tell you about monumental moments in a team's history, a big loss, a big win. I think that would be very cool just 
going around and gathering those stories. I wouldn't want to talk to maybe, you know, hundreds of people, mm. but maybe a few people for every team. And while it wouldn't, I wouldn't want it to serve as some kind of like, you know, travel guy. Yeah. I wouldn't want it to be that. I would want it to be more of like, hey, there's these cool oral history that you're not getting. Like, I mean, no one thinks of stuff like that. Like, oh, I'm going to ask this bartender what's going on in the neighborhood. You just don't think that. Or where were you during whatever game of whatever, you know, major event? I, I just think stuff like that would be cool. I think it interests me, so maybe it'll interest other people. Um, but that's kind of, I just, I like the human aspect of everything. And I do romanticize it, <laughs> but I think it's cool. Um, just knowing that it's it's about more than what's happening on the field. It's about more than, you know, numbers and front offices and rules and stuff like that. I think it's just so fun. Since you brought it up, okay, you brought up the the topic of baseball's sordid history, all the stuff that people don't know. What's your favorite story about the game to tell people that don't know about the history of the game? Hmm. I don't know. Let's see. I feel like my favorite story has to be. Uh, <laughs> My favorite story has to be when Larry Doby went to the league, mostly because of it incorporates multiple interests of mine. There is a woman involved and she made sure that she got paid for her player making the jump. And a lot of people are like, excuse me, what? Like, because they think Jackie Robinson had this like grand deal. And it's like, no, no. No, somebody got fleeced for that. That definitely didn't go the way you think it did. Whereas Effa Manley was like, well, hold up. You're going to pay me. You're going to buy me out on this whole deal. And I, I love that story just because, A, it's a woman completely bossing up in a business situation. B, that moment is huge for all of baseball, particularly African-American players. Because that set the tone that they were going to get paid, that nobody was jumping anymore from the Negro League to Major League without getting paid. That was huge. That was huge. And she was big on players' rights and things like that. And I don't think people care. I don't think they care to know those things. And for me, it's important to keep those things in mind that sports have always been political, They've never not been political. So that whole stick to sports thing, it's it's silly. They've always been political, even in ways that you don't think of or you don't realize. That's probably my favorite. I think that the the Effa Manley story, <laughs> I, that's the, I think that's the next great sports film. Mm-hmm. Like if someone really wants to do it, that's the the film that I think people are going to be like, Whoa. She was a very mysterious woman. Like, everything you read about her comes across as if it was a rumor. Like, no one actually knows anything about her. We just know that she did something great and that she loved baseball, right? Because that's what her tombstone says. She loved baseball. And she, her background is weird. No one knows. Is she black? Mm -hmm. Is she biracial? Is she white? Was she Uh, passing? Yeah. 
uh, did her mom have an affair? Who was her dad? Like, just all this. Did she have affairs with players? That was the thing I read. Um, I tried uh, doing a bunch of research on her, but the thing that bothers me is the inconsistency in stories. No one tells the same story about her. No one has the same facts about her. She wrote a book herself where she pretty much told you nothing. Um, <laughs> I kind of admire that, actually, because I'm not really big on sharing you know, too much uh, publicly anyway. But it's like, wow, she left us not much. She left a legacy, but we don't know her know her. And I, I don't know. I think a movie about her would be so interesting because you would have to put all of the pieces. You would have to tell each side or you have to do your best there's i don't know wasn't it was it penny marshall who was trying to do yes. a movie on her that would have been interesting you know what else i'd also like to see something on the colorado silver bullets why i have been trying to find a contact for this team for about four weeks because there isn't much on them there's nothing. There's this website. Someone's paying the bill, and I really wish I could just be like, hey, maybe I'll get on Who Is now I'm thinking about it. But there's this website, and it's the Colorado Silver Bullets. Someone's keeping it up. There's links to old stories. They have an email address for contact. and But no one's, like, written the history of that team, a women's barnstorming team in the 90s. Like, I was a small child, so I don't have any recollection of this. I couldn't have been any older than 10 when it even, like, disbanded. And everything I've read about it, it's like, oh, I wish I knew more. Oh, I kind of want to know more. So I even did the Google search, like, oh, there's got to be books. There's, like, one. And it's not even a book book. It's one of those, like, pamphlet-style mm. books that someone put together. And I'm not saying I want to write a book about this team, but I do kind of want to know, like, where is everybody now? What are you doing? Um, why did you do this? Like, what did you want to accomplish? Because it's it's a very cool idea, and um, not many people know about it. I saw someone on Twitter who still had ticket stubs from a Silver Bullets game, and I was like, how? How? Who? Who's been to these games before? It's just such a mystery to me. Women's baseball, you know, so no one talks about it, but everyone wants to talk about it, but we don't know where to start. That's one of those things that is like one of the, like baseball's greatest mysteries. Where did they go? I know Tamara Holmes plays, you know, for the U.S., but other than that, I don't know where anyone else is. Hmm. Do you remember that team at I all? I do. I remember the uniforms. I, but I don't, you're right. Like, I don't remember, I remember a couple of news stories here and there. Like, a couple of national, like, mm -hmm. hey, look at this. And, and but that's, that's it. They like, were barely a blip on the radar. I feel like this is, this is a job for <laughs> Shakia. This is. Someone send me their contact info. It's. I've been trying, I've emailed that info email address, like, oh, maybe someone will respond. So then I started pulling feelers out amongst people I know who know people in baseball. Like, hey, if you know anyone who has hmm. a contact for anyone on this team or anyone affiliated with this team, would you give it to me? Um, I think someone in Sabre is going to write a thing on them, but I still want to talk to them. I still want, because my way is going to be different. Of and course it is. Like, I just, 
I don't know. I've been so curious. It's killing me. It's killing me. You brought up barnstorming with the silver bullets. Yes. What do you think of, after watching what happened in Williamsport, the White Sox and Yankees are going to play at the Field of Dreams. Mm -hmm. I think it would be a good idea for baseball, for MLB, to do some barnstorming, to learn something from the Negro Leagues. Mm, that'd be fun. And do some barnstorming. Maybe one one home game per team per year is played somewhere where there isn't baseball. I think that would be, a, first, a fantastic idea. Second, a good way to get people um, paying attention. And I think they should go beyond the whole wearing the Negro League jersey thing anyway. Take it a step further. Um, I watched the Little League Classic, and I was so tickled by those kids who were doing their arms like Craig Kimbrell. It was hilarious. I was so tickled by that. And I'm planning to try to get tickets to the Field of Dreams game. I know there's only going to be 8,000. I mean, I'm willing to sell my purse to go. <laughs> like... I think it would be so fun. Stuff like that. Like I said, it's about creating the memory, creating the experience. Like our connections to sports go beyond people. It's like going to do things, right? Like, um, so I think a barnstorming sort of game would be awesome. They'd bring in people who probably haven't watched baseball in years. In years. Could you imagine if they did a game like that somewhere? I don't know, in a South Carolina, a Mississippi somewhere deep in Florida, right? Like, I feel like you would end up looking at a completely different crowd than what you're used to. Um, Imagine a game being played in Albuquerque. Right. I think people would go. El Paso. I think people would go. Also, people are always looking for those destination games anyway. I mean... I'm going to the Bears game in London just because it's a Bears game in London. Like, are you going to go? Are you going to have you figured out if you're going to make it to Prague for Blackhawks? I am not going to Prague for Blackhawks. I'm going straight to London, um, mainly because the ticket from Chicago to Prague, Prague to London, and then London back was like $1,200. Ah. But the ticket from Chicago to London and London back was like $400. Right. So. It was like, I can go to London for a few days and hang out. So I'm going on the Thursday before the game, and then I'm coming back on the Tuesday after. That sounds like a great trip. It's going to be fun. I'm it's, trying to convince our bosses at NBC Sports Chicago that we should go. They're not going to let us go. I feel like you should, though. I do, too. I mean, if if I could write a letter for you, I would. Like, someone let them go. I think it's going to be awesome. I would love that. I mean, and. We know Spice Adams, and Spice actually does one of his television shows in London. Mm -hmm. So he's got, like, the whole lay of the land, like, the whole hookup. Like, it could be done. But that's another story for another <laughs> time. You're wearing a pin on your, your jacket while we sit here talk that oh. says unicorn. Yes. It's kind of how I think about you in, in this game. And I know that there are other black women who cover baseball. I know there are other women who cover sports. I, I find your perspective to be refreshing and unique. Thanks. What is it like for you to be in a space where there aren't a lot of yous around, where you are literally, well, not literally, but figuratively a unicorn? Well, it's interesting. It has its ups and downs. I will say that. Um, I have had moments where I have had to stop people. Like, sometimes it's in person, sometimes it's online, but I've kind of had to wave my hand like, hey, no, we're not going to do that. Um, 
sometimes I feel like I'm expected to educate everyone all the time. And I'm, I'm not a teacher and we're all adults and pick up a book. I don't know. Phone a friend. Just don't ask me. And I get that a lot. Now, there are times where I feel like, okay, if we're close enough, I'll correct you or I'll explain something to you. But I don't know. I once said to my friend, I was like, I just can't be everybody's favorite black girl. And that's kind of what I feel like the pressure is on me to be. If I say something that people don't like or they feel like I'm not teaching them in that moment, they get upset. Um, if I'm just having a human moment where I might cuss, I cuss quite a bit. And people get offended by that. And it's like, ah, when you're reading what I'm writing, you're reading professional stuff. But, like, I'm just talking. Like, this is a casual conversation. And you're expecting me to sound like something I wrote. Um, I also deal with people being really weird. Um, How so? Well... I've had, I had one guy at a baseball game first compliment me, but then, you know, ask me how I got in the ballpark with my earrings because I had on hoops. I guess he thought security would stop me, and he was trying to be funny. It was awful. Um, I, I always get the, you know, what's it like? What's it like being a black woman in today's and it's like eh, sometimes it's great and sometimes it sucks because people like you are sitting in my face asking me silly questions it's it's up and down it's so up and down other times I have moments where I'm like wow this is really cool or this is a great experience and I get to share this with other people like I've gone to baseball games where I've taken just black people with me and said hey let's just go because this isn't a thing that we do anymore mm. So it's fun, and I get questions about it. And I once made a comment about the way uh, black culture and slang is used in advertising for uh, baseball, but it's not really acceptable in baseball and how that just doesn't work. Like, how can you use it to sell, but you don't actually want it in your ballpark? And it's just the experience is how do I love something that hates me almost, that doesn't seem to welcome me there. And then, you know, I'm a woman and I have to go to a game and Addison Russell is on the field. And, you know, there are people actively cheering for this person. And I'm like, are you are you nuts? Are you out of your mind? And I don't like the idea when someone says, you know, as a, as a father of daughters, as a brother of sisters, what about a people of people? Like, would you be okay with that in any other situation? Probably not. It's just, it's super complicated. It's like, I'm a woman, and I, I hate that that these people get to play unchallenged, unpunished, or whatever. But then I also go to a game because I want to step away from regular life. I want to not deal with everything else but it's there it's confronting me all the time it's such a complicated thing and I don't know I think I get by because I have so many great people who are like it's great what you're doing I like where you're coming from your perspective is awesome um you keep my interest but some days I will admit I'm like eh, I don't really want to write today it's not worth it it's really not worth it for someone to you know come yelling at me later about something that I had nothing to do with. You'd be surprised. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you wouldn't. I you know social media. Wouldn't. Like <laughs> the way and it's 
it's not just men though. Like women get out of pocket too. I feel like some women in who write sports, but baseball, because that community is much smaller than like sports writing itself. But I feel like some of them feel like I'm coming after them or I'm trying to veer into their lane. Well, that's really not true. Mostly because I couldn't care less about what someone else is doing almost all the time. But I'm such a great champion of people around me. If you're doing something awesome, I will share it. I will tweet it. I will tell other people about it. I will cross post it. I'm generally not out here for drama because there aren't enough women anyway involved in it. So we should all be kind of uplifting each other and pushing each other forward I get that more from a lot of the guys I've come into contact with than I do from some of the women. Um, I will say I do have this very good group that I met. Um, They all used to write for Fangraphs or Harbaugh Times. And we have our own little DM where we're just constantly either yelling about things or, you know, talking about things we've written, getting ideas with each other. I want that camaraderie. But I feel it's still, it's extremely competitive. I look at guy baseball writers and they joke with each other on the timeline. They hang out. They meet up for beers. But I just don't feel like I'm getting that reception. Um, And I know know what happens. I know people hang out together or whatever. But I don't always get that reception. A lot of people view me as some kind of threat or whatever. So it's it's been pretty complicated. And a lot of times I feel like it's just, I have a personality. Like, I am who I am all the time. You're never going to meet me and I'm different. That's just what it is. I don't put on airs either. If I don't like you, I don't like you. But it doesn't mean that we can't be courteous. That's kind of what I feel like I'm up against a lot. I don't mean to pry. Yeah, no. How does that make you feel that there are people who look at you as a threat and you, if if you were to go back and to listen to the conversation that we're having. Yeah. One of the major themes that you have is consensus, like building community. It's sharing things, sharing events, sharing baseball games, sharing football games. So how does it make you feel when you kind of open yourself up to this opportunity and it is shut down? I really, I will say I get really annoyed. I get annoyed. I don't care if you don't want to be my friend because I have plenty and it's all good. Everyone isn't for everyone. But I don't like when it just feels shady. Like, if you don't like me, that's okay. Don't drag me when I'm not around. Don't, you know, don't talk about me. Just don't like me. It's totally fine. I think there's a difference in, like, active and passive dislike. Because I can just dislike you but want you to be great. And want you to be a part of my community. And want you to go to games with us. Because that's who I am. But... I'm not going to force that on you either. So it just it's aggravating. It's like, ah, I tried, but let's not make a big deal out of it. If we can just be like, all right, it didn't work and move on. That's my, that's my way. I don't I'm not a grudge carrier. Um, it's kind of funny because I forget why I'm mad a lot. Um, I just get over it unless you do something extremely egregious. Life's too short to be mad at someone for something silly. And that's my general perspective. I wish you the best. If you want to come to something I'm having, you're welcome to. I would never be like, get out. How dare you? Because I feel like 
if not us, then who? Right? Like, if there is some young woman out there who wants to write and, you know, she reads something I wrote and is like, I want to be like that girl, great. If she reads something about somebody who doesn't get along with me but also wants to be like that person, still great. Because we are the examples. Like, if not us, then who? I keep saying that. Whenever I want to give up on something, I'm like, if not me, then who? And that's how I feel about it. Like, I love hanging out with these people. I love the girls I've met. Um, if you could see some of these women I've met, like, they're hilarious. Sometimes I'm like, how could you not like me? I'm awesome. Look at all these awesome people who hang out with me. But otherwise, it's like, cool, whatever. We don't have to. It doesn't have to be active. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks. And sitting down with me, I know that your time is is limited because you're a writer with a day job. You're, <laughs> yeah, and you're on. I just want to tell you that you're very. You inspire me. Really? Yeah. Because How's that? That's such an interesting thing to hear. Why? I don't know. Um, mostly because I feel like I'm just just out here being regular. No, but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. You. You have reached a level of understanding on a lot of different fronts and expression that I think are difficult for people to get to, mm -hmm. even professionals. Your writing is beyond. It's beyond. And when I read it, I'm like, wow, I thought I could write, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. And that's okay because Shakia can't. I have a flair for the dramatic that's what it is. You're good. <laughs> you're 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 nice with the words. You're nice Thank with you. the bars, yo. Thank you. You're, you're nice with it. I would and like to be the black thought of sports writing. Hey, you're <laughs> you're not far off from being the the black thought of sports writing. It, you you have a lot of great stuff. Like you're you're dope. Thank you. You're dope, and and I'm glad that other people recognize it. Mm -hmm. I don't think enough people have recognized it, but. Other people recognize your dopeness and want you to write for them. So I wanted to thank you for, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We talked about, like, I had no idea what we were going to talk about. And I was like, oh, I guess we're going to just wing it. Because most people send me, like, I'm going to ask you this, and then we're going to move into this. And you didn't send anything. Just a date, a time, and a location. That's all I want. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of want the conversation to go where the conversation goes. Mm -hmm. So us being able to talk about Chicago, like, you yeah, know, th those are the things that I, that's what I enjoy about. I try not to I, I prep for interviews, mm -hmm. but I try not to over prepare. And I usually leave my notes like I write my notes and then I put them away. Interesting. Yeah, because I don't want to I've run into situations where I'll have my checklist. Well, I want to ask this question, this question, this question. And the interview turns out bad. I did a shitty interview with Rick Hahn after the Manny Machado debacle mm -hmm. because it was a fan service situation. Obviously, White Sox fans wanted to know what the hell was going on. I was on vacation when this happened, mm -hmm. and I came in to do the interview. And I just, like, randomly just reached out to the White Sox, like, hey, can I interview Rick? And they were like, Sure. So I rushed in here and I put the interview together and I thought I did a shitty job with it. And it was because of that. It was because I had this list yeah. of things that needed to be answered 
from from a functional standpoint, the interview was fine. Right. It was totally fine. From an artistic standpoint, it was trash. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So that's why I'm trying not to do that anymore, where I don't – I have an idea of where I want to go, but I'm going to let the wind kind of get me there yeah. instead of forcing it. Yeah. So I thank you for your time. Thanks. Thank you for being on the podcast, and, and I'm uh, you are an inspiration. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This was fun. Well, here's hoping that you got something out of that conversation with Kia. She is a dynamic, a, a truly dynamic personality that I think deserves to be front and center in whatever sports coverage you want to do. You want to do baseball coverage? You want to do a TV show where people are talking passionately about baseball? Like That's the type of person that should be involved in something like that. She does incredible stuff for the Negro League Museum every year. At Nisei Lounge, she puts together an event, and they pick a baseball charity, and it's baseball-themed, and, and she had me as a guest bartender this year. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really happy that I know her. I'm truly happy that I know her and I get to check out her work. Curly Fro, at Curly Fro is where you can find her on Twitter. Time for me to read some uh, long, unread emails. Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for sticking with me, by the way. I appreciate it. This comes from Jeeg, who says, Lawrence, longtime listener, first-time emailer. I'm a fan of yours dating back to the WrestleManiacs days with Jay Hood, and I've been with House of L since the start. I finally had to drop you a line and say how much I appreciated the Tom Dreesen interview. Like a previous emailer, I was familiar with Mr. Dreesen from his many appearances with Rokan and Mancow and on the score, but I never got him until your interview. What an amazing life. I could have listened to him. Could, I could have listened to an hour of stories just about his times with Tim Reed. A great guest and a great job interviewing him. Thank you for that. Regarding future guests, how many donuts from Glam Doll do I need to ship you to make uh, a Nick DeGilio episode happen? Man, I, I'm such a fan of Nick DeGilio. I have been for a really long time. I think he does an incredible radio show. Fascinating dude. We we usually intersect on Twitter because he's a big Bears fan and stuff. But I'm a huge fan of his, so I will put him down on the list. This from Matthew. Good evening, Lawrence. I just listened to the Tom Dreesen podcast, and I loved it. I knew of him before and his love for Chicago, but the podcast was even better. I am Matthew who emails you. You read about getting Kevin Matthews on. I love that. Horsehead growing up and listening to him with my dad. I reached out to him through Facebook Messenger, and he said he would love to. I respect and love listening to you both. And, wow, how about that? The, the, the people are now booking guests for me. That's so crazy. All right, well, then I will get in touch with Mr. Matthews, and hopefully we will make that happen just for Matthew. I don't know if I've ever had that done before, a guest booking. Thank you. This from Ryan. Lawrence, I emailed you last summer from Ann Arbor thanking you for starting House of L. Like you, I graduated with my master's degree this past year from my dream school at the University of Michigan. I was listening to Loho Daily last week when my wife walked in the room and said, how's the House of L? I told her I subscribed to your newer podcast called Loho Daily. So from a Chicago kid and his wife who likes you, thank you for keeping us informed and entertained. If you ever need some advertisement, we would be happy to rock some House of L shirts 
in Michigan whenever they go on sale. All the best, Ryan. Ryan, thank you, and thank you to your wife. I appreciate that. Uh, that's very nice of you to say. But we're good. Here's the thing. Here's where, all right, here's where I think I'm at now with House of L. I think because of all of the stuff that I have to do and other podcasts that I'm doing, I think that House of L is going to be no sponsors like ever again. I think that's the way that I'm leaning, that the business side of House of L accomplished its goals and it accomplished its goals on what I am now being able, what I'm being asked to do professionally. They asked me to create this new podcast because of the success of House of L and there'll be other stuff that I'll be able to announce later on where we can discuss some of the other things that I'm going to be able to do. And it's not with the score. I'll just say that right now. So it's accomplished its goal, but I still love doing it. So I think I'm going to keep doing it and hopefully you'll keep consuming some of this stuff and we can keep having fun. I know that there are episodes that people haven't listened to and you heard people talk about the Tom Dreesen one. I really think you need to check that one out. If you haven't already, you should. It's tremendous. But I thank you to listen for listening to this one. Shake is the best, and I'm glad that she had time to sit down with me. And I appreciate you listening to the podcast. I promise it will be more frequent. And we got great guests lined up to do the pod. So thanks for being a loyal listener to the House of L podcast. Peace. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.